0: Happy Tuesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Die Hard Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, 13 different teams of uh, Movies by Minutes podcasters get together and talk about the wonderful 1988 Christmas movie, Die Hard. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, of the Airport Minute and
1: the Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Hal Bryan of the Rocketeer Minute. And here we go again with Die Hard. Yay!
0: <laughs> and once again, we're back at the back at the convenience uh, stand, watching uh, Reginald Bell Johnson head out with his bag of Twinkies. Exactly. That's... You know, I didn't notice in the last minute. Did you, do you remember what else he bought? I saw no, it and it I... went by. I mean, I mostly I was just focused on the focused yeah, on the Twinkies. The
1: Twinkies were the were the big thing. Did he grab some gum?
0: He might have gotten something yeah uh, well well if well, what ever, you,
1: what you buy it at, at an AMPM? but yeah i don't but, think we ever see them again do we no does he, does, no do, no
0: he just it's it, <laughs> well terrible things are going to happen to that poor patrol car that he's going to drop them in so i don't know that's true the twinkies will be long forgotten
1: yes a little bit of foreshadowing there
0: yes so, so. uh we're watching him leave and all those uh 1988 prices there. Make your own milkshake for 99 cents. Right,
1: we we uh, we chatted about that a bit yesterday, and then yeah. uh, we we chatted very briefly about uh, the owner of this uh, AMPM, and you see his name backwards on the door, and I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing it, but Shane Yannakamjian. Y- y- yes. So, um, anyway, I know we we chatted a little about him yesterday. I don't think we came across the fact that uh, that we're pretty sure he passed away. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah. And in, when was uh, that? That uh, was, was t- April of 2015. Okay. So he was 90 years old, born in Jerusalem, and then uh, when he died, uh, he was living in Van Nuys, so right nearby, and hopefully had uh, you know long, happy, wonderful life, and got to tell everybody his name was in Die Hard. Yes, <laughs> and but he,
0: that, he, all 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 those uh, <laughs> those different uh, ices and things that he'd sold to many hungry third shifters.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think we pretty well established, uh, and again, we, there's a little bit of a gap between when we've recorded these. So if it sounds like I'm going insane, well, you can't remember what you did yesterday. <laughs> it's, uh, it's only because it's been a while. But uh, I think we pretty well established that this was a a shot at, on location at a real AMPM, a real mini market. This wasn't a set that was built up.
0: Yeah, which is now, I believe, a nail salon. It has okay. turned into a nail salon, but it, it's pretty much the same view. You can you can stand in that nail salon's uh, parking lot and see the Nakatomi slash Fox Tower just ah. down Olympic Boulevard there, and uh, kind of right across the street from the Ralphs that uh, that we see in uh, yesterday's episode. Right. So uh, he's walking by. I don't. I think you know European cars better than I do. I don't know what model of BMW that that is but it's definitely the 80s with the round
1: the red one that comes right up to him yeah it's a uh, or no sorry the silver the great, one that's right the there sorry one, yeah, no yeah. there's a red red car that comes up in a moment yeah yeah i i wish i could see a little bit more of it i'm i'm not a bmw expert by any means but that's yeah, you know very, that's very much square in the square in the 80s everything sort of squared off with but still yeah. maintaining the round headlights yeah and you know uh, Native U.S. market because otherwise it would have the yellow headlights, yeah, like the, the cool French European and stuff. But
0: there at anyway, the end of Bellwood Avenue, we get a pretty good view of uh, how much uh, gasoline went for back then: seventy-seven and nine tenths for the unleaded, right, and and regular, which <laughs> uh, back then regular had lead.
1: Yeah, exactly. There was uh, there was regular, and then there was unleaded was a special thing, and then and you've got that at. Uh, 74.9 cents so just under 75 cents and which of course it seems you know seems just ridiculous in today's dollars that's uh it's actually pretty close to where we are it's a little over two bucks something like that if my math is 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 closer maybe in the two dollar range okay yeah um which is hard to believe that it would have you know would have doubled but it's it's been 30 years right so or yeah no little... twenty no nearly thirty years nearly thirty years yeah nearly thirty years yeah. yeah math is math is hard Cause... um i was I was looking back at uh, gas prices over the uh you know nearly last hundred years, and they were uh, sort of in terms of real prices, the actual just you know dollar amount you'd pay, they were really very flat from about nineteen nineteen you know about maybe thirty cents a gallon. Up through nineteen sixty nine you were maybe at forty cents a gallon,
0: yeah,
1: and so you know for fifty years they were only climbing ever so slightly, and then they started to spike a little bit and then of course in seventy eight seventy nine uh we had the uh the oil crisis, which I remember pretty vividly as a kid, and that in seventies prices we were up at almost a dollar fifty and you know I can remember, as I'm sure you can, Jim, gas lines and uh you know gas stations that have just were just out of gas and people waiting for hours and hours and hours to fuel up their cars and all these things and somehow or other at that point we had some sort of membership so sort of or access to some sort of co-op gas or i i wish i could remember better what it was i was only about 10 11 years old and we would drive into some sort of industrial park and then and then we had a key to a gas pump <laughs> So, and yeah, I just remember my mom was... saying, no, you can't tell anybody about yeah, this. Yeah, it was like a speakeasy wow. days of yeah, exactly. alcohol. Yeah, exactly. No, no, alcohol and gasoline. That's what Yeah, I mean. it's exactly wow. what it was. I mean, it was, it was legit. It was being paid for and everything, just to be very, very clear. But it was, it had that weird vibe to it. Like, you know. Yeah. You, we. You, uh, you got to know somebody who knew yeah, somebody. We, who, yeah, we knew somebody. or yeah. We had, a, you know, some club membership or something like that. But otherwise. You know, it was on the news every night how long the gas lines were and gas stations completely out and everything else. But yeah So the prices peaked there and then they uh then they plunged over the next ten years. So by the yeah, by the time of this movie we're we're in the high you know, mid to high seventy cents a gallon, and then it stayed kinda of flat again for the next ten years, with a few ups and downs, hovering around a dollar by about ninety nine. Yeah. Get- and then, you know, climbing crazy in the uh, the late two thousands when we were, you know, up over uh four dollars a gallon. Yeah, for a it,
0: while, it's it's amazing. I, I worked many many moons ago. I worked in the early eighties in the uh, in the oil business, and uh, I can recall working in. Uh, I did the IT for for the company, and there was an economic evaluations department where they figured out how much it cost to uh, drill for oil and how much they could get. You know, how much they could realize from drilling in a specific spot at a specific depth. And one of the things they had in this giant spreadsheet was uh, price of uh, oil per barrel, and the price was. And it was, it was a fixed number. It said $30 a barrel. And I said, why is that a fixed number? And the two guys that were there said, well, it's pretty much been for the past five or six years, it's been about $30 a a barrel. And that's, that's what we base all of our uh, decisions on. I said, well, what, what happens if it drops to like $20 a barrel? And the two guys looked at each other and they laughed and they said, well, we'd be out of business. And the next year gas, uh, oil dropped to $18 a barrel. And sure enough, they go, they closed oh, out that geez. whole that whole division. Went goodbye. So uh, it yeah, it was an interesting interesting uh, lesson in economics. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, one one last thing about the uh, that regular gas, which you know we we grew up with on the regular and that unleaded being special. Right. Although it it made that sh- that that quick shift, um, leaded gasoline. Um, you, you had to build uh, car manufacturers after nineteen seventy three had to build only unleaded uh, cars. They had to have the catalytic converters and things like that to, to get rid of the uh, tetraethyl lead that was in, you know, old fashioned. That was that was a lubricant for the pistons. All right. And uh, so the catalytic converters took over for the, the tetra tetraethyl lead or ethyl as most people called it. Uh, getting the lead out of the gas uh, in 1973, they still sold it, but they just didn't make new cars for it. And this, even though it's, you know, here, it's, you can see the price is dropping because there's fewer cars that are, the demand is lowered for uh, for the regular leaded gas. Um, but leaded gas would still be sold in the U.S. until 1996, when only 0.6% uh, of the total gasoline sales accounted for were, were uh, leaded gas. Oh, wow. So this would go on, you know, we'd continue to sell leaded gas for another, uh, what is it, eight years? And uh, finally, you know, and disappear. <clears throat>
1: and of course in aviation uh you know that's that's something that's actually uh a big problem to be solved because for most small private piston engine airplanes were many of them were still using leaded gas and it's uh it's 100 low lead so there's not much lead in it and 100 octane but uh, there is still uh there is still some and there's uh, uh a lot of these engines have been uh, certified, so you can burn autogas in them, so that that can resolve it. But there's still a pretty large number of airplanes out there that uh, that rely on that gas, and there's an ongoing initiative by companies and uh, associations like ours, uh, EA here in Oshkosh, that are um, you know trying hard to find the sort of definitive replacement for for hundred low lead, and it's a challenge.
0: No, Jet, Jet A is not lighted, that's right. No,
1: Jet A is not. That's, you know, it was basically just your kerosene. Yeah,
0: yeah. So. Oh, just a fascinating, fascinating bit of chemistry right there at the the bottom <laughs> of uh, Olympic Boulevard.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, I love when, uh, you know, so Al walks out and he uh, he's on his, uh, so that portable mic on his radio, I'm going to just play one second of this minute, make sure I get this part right. He's got his lapel mic on his radio, and he's acknowledging the uh, you know acknowledging the dispatch that he's on the call and he's going to go check this out before he's looking up at the building. And in my law enforcement days, you know, we had uh, we had the handheld radios, big Motorola things on our belts, and then the lapel mics, just like that, that you'd usually clip, you know, just, like I said, on your lapel or up on an epaulet of your uniform shirt or jacket. This has always made me laugh a little bit because, you know, he says he's on his way. But back then, the, the difference in quality between the radio and the car and and a handheld radio with those lapel mics like that yeah. was just blindingly obvious over the air. And so when I first saw this movie and he said, yeah, I'm on my way, but he's not in his car <laughs> no, talking on the good radio. Yeah, everybody <laughs> in dispatch is just rolling their eyes saying, no, you're not. You know, you went somewhere, you didn't, and number one, I don't think I remember him uh, signing out. I don't think I remember him calling dispatch and saying, I don't think we would have seen that. You know, I'm going to the convenience store to buy Twinkies. I'll be here for a few minutes. I'll be 10-8, yes. Yeah, that's one of those things where you, you stop, you run in, you do it, and if you get a call, you answer on your handheld radio and you hope you get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you know, you should have signed out for a break and say, you know, basically yeah. clocking out for a moment and then saying, I'm going to be here and if you need me. But but uh, um, I always laugh, too. It's it's a lot different now, but especially in this, you know, this era, which coincided with my time in, in uh, behind the badge, as they say. Yeah. And uh, uh, you would see people even using those mics driving in the car. And so you've got a really good radio right in front of you, and it's easier to use than clicking this thing and turning your head and talking into your shoulder. But uh, but actors in movies, I think, somehow think that looks cooler. Yeah, or something. It's, it's, it's like it's it like holding really the right. gun sideways, kind of
0: a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I notice he is still wearing a, a billy club, which I don't think LA carries anymore. I don't.
1: I don't think they do. But yeah, that's a uh, that's a PR twenty four side handle baton. Um, it just sounds better. Then yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the billy club. And I think the, the billy clubs technically were more like the short bats. Yeah, yeah. The, um, but that is uh, sort of no matter what you see on the news or what you've heard <laughs> over the years, that is really not meant for beating people. It's what's called a bridging tool. And it is a, uh, it is a way for you to get close enough to a person to grab them and put cuffs on them and things like that. So if you do need to knock an arm out of the way or, or things like this. And then there's lots you can do with that side handle on there. You run that, you, you hold that handle in your hand, uh, almost like a pistol grip and then let the length of it run up your arm. And now you've got reinforcement on a forearm. If you do need to sort of shove somebody like or leverage, yeah. Grip. Without, without breaking your arm, you can exactly. Use, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so I, I would assume that there are courses in how to use them. Overall. There are.
1: And that's, it's just like anything else. You have to qualify with it to carry them. Um, Right around this time, you started seeing the uh, the metal batons coming into play, um, and then the uh, uh, the PR twenty four X was a uh, 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 an expandable version of a baton, it was a telescope. So it was about as big as maybe a small flashlight, and you pull it out of your belt yeah, and then flick it. Now used in
0: spy movies when you want somebody to you know get a beat down, they pull out the
1: exactly, yeah, pull it out and flick the it green it and green the, hornet style, yes, yes, <laughs> so um,
0: exactly, yeah, in. Uh, the other thing I'm, I I keep wondering about this, and I, I keep forgetting to ask, but now, now I got my chance. Uh, Al's a sergeant. Now, right. should he be working a patrol, or would that be more like he'd be working at a desk, uh, telling patrolmen what to do?
1: You know, in in L.A., I would assume that uh, that that a patrol sergeant would still be out at least occasionally. Um, you know he's probably largely at a desk, but still still gets out there. A good sergeant, you know, would sort of get out there and shag some calls and prove that he's still uh, still one of the guys. Um, at uh, you know, in LA, where you've got uh, I think a more formalized rank structure than a lot of departments, and you have lieutenants and and things that go on up from there. I, I think it would be at that sort of you know the military equivalent, sort of the noncom like a sergeant to the officer yeah. level, would be the real dividing line. Um, but uh, you know, if he doesn't go out in his car, then uh, he he can't get his Twinkies. So that's true. Yeah. yeah, so I, he's got to take a car out at least once in a while.
0: I, I, I'm I'm thinking that he's got he's just doing this out of the kind of his heart because like one of his regular patrolmen that work under him, you know, wanted wanted Christmas Eve off. Yeah, exactly. Eve, so that was yeah, like him doing a nice thing.
1: Yeah, it's Christmas Eve. It's all these things, and and yeah, and all that's very believable from what we see of this guy. He just seems yeah. like a good sort of stand up guy.
0: Yeah, and he, I mean the thing is, he's in L.A., and of course, the only sergeant I can think of in L.A. <laughs> is Joe Friday. It's Joe Friday, and right? And I can never figure out why he was a detective, but he was only a sergeant. I you know, I would think that yeah, it would have been I, higher up the food chain.
1: I think that I think in L.A. that that's probably the entry level rank because um, you, you test for sergeant, and then you sort of would choose whether you would stay in patrol and sort of be the you know the, the senior the senior fish in that pond, or then start in detectives and be junior junior there but uh, that's really more conjecture I, I always think of leslie nielsen um oh, yeah. he was uh what like he was a lieutenant or oh, wait sergeant frank drebin detective lieutenant police squad yes was his rank <laughs> so he just he just had them both
0: yeah just just for the uh, just for the business card right <laughs> exactly and th- they've ne- they never mentioned they never mentioned bill gannon's um rank he was always his partner, so I was like, is yeah, he a sergeant too, to... or is he just you know detective first class? Does he, you know, I don't know.
1: Well, and to me, his rank was colonel because he's Colonel Potter. That's true. There you so have it. you know, so. so later we find out <laughs> in the sequel to Dragnet called it's Mash, like, we find yeah. out
0: it's uh, like the Mexican army in here. Everybody's a general Samo, so it's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we watch uh, we we watch uh, Sergeant Al go take a look yes. at that uh, you know at that beautiful Nakatomi Tower as he slides up and uh we're seeing some kind of bursts of light which could either be the uh i'm thinking it may be the beacon for the helipad or it might be just you know some nice uh uh laying down some withering fire right exactly but
1: it's 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 well done although i would sure think you would hear something even from this distance um but the flashes up there that you know that we see um it's it's well done because it's it could from our point of view which is the same as his you know we could easily think as you said that those are strobe lights or something even though the pattern is sort of irregular and they're they're in odd spots
0: yeah and we are we we wind up on the roof or not quite well the the overlying roof the, the roof is kind of this large um not quite h shaped but it has a the inverse of an h it's it's the uh the it's square with the uh, edges clipped off of the uh, square. Uh, right. And uh, atop that, as uh, the, we get that beautiful uh, panoramic shot as they're doing the, the cameras with um, uh, Fritz and Franco. Yeah, Fritz and Franco are uh, are shooting away at, at poor uh, John McClane as uh, bullets are pinging and winging off of uh, all the concrete and stuff. And uh, we get to uh, the, uh, the helipad which uh, right. stands at the top. And from what I understand, Fox Tower actually has a helipad on its roof. I don't know how often it's used, but um I don't see a windsock anywhere, but uh it, how does that actually work like I keep wondering about this with uh with helipads that you don't actually have like a control tower at a helipad. So how do you right. how do you get permission to land in the middle of Los Angeles on the, on the roof?
1: So my understanding is that you would treat it uh much like a much like you would an uncontrolled airport or a private airport that you would you would technically need you know first and foremost you need the the owner's permission uh, to land there unless of course you'd be declaring uh, declaring an emergency. Um, so in the in the fixed wing world to, to go wander a field for a little bit we've got uh, uh, somewhere around eighteen to twenty thousand airports uh, in the U.S. and a good seventeen. Thousand of those or so are uncontrolled, so there isn't a control tower to sort of tell you what to do. And in those instances, then, you uh, there's a common frequency, and everybody announces sort of what they're doing, and it's everybody's responsibility to sort of see and avoid. Now, here in L.A., this is a, a bit of a different scenario because you've got uh, the whole city there is uh, in the uh, inside Los Angeles Class B or Class Bravo airspace. In that particular section, that goes from the surface up to 10,000 feet. So that means that inside that airspace that is completely controlled. So you need to be talking to, um, in this case, uh, uh, like the Los, Los Angeles Air Route Traffic Control Center. And I'm not sure we're there, whether you'd be talking to departure or arrival. But you're talking to them as they're coordinating with LAX Tower. And not to mention the towers for the other controlled airports all in that area. Uh, You know Long Beach and and Northrop and Santa Monica and all those all those airports all clustered together. So everybody's talking to air traffic control, but what's uh, the distinction of it is that there's almost certainly nobody sort of clearing you to actually land on that helipad or or take off from that helipad. You would you would make a call that you're on that helipad and you're going to fly, and it's you know it's up to you to take off whenever you want, and if there's that's not really big enough for more than one helicopter at a time. But if it were a big helipad, you would coordinate with other pilots and decide who's going to go first. But you do need, as soon as those skids lift off the surface of that building, you need to be—you need permission to actually fly in that airspace. So it's a subtle distinction. Are, are there—are
0: um, there like? jepperson's plates that you uh, you look at for how to leave the particular building like i'm going to be flying at you know 270
1: or uh there's there's very likely going to be um on what we would call the uh the terminal area chart for los angeles i don't have one of those handy i'm looking at the normal what we call the sectional chart in front of me now um there would very likely be uh standardized procedures you know and certainly they're going to tell you this is who you call and whatever else and most likely they would have they wouldn't say well if you're leaving foxtower if you're you know if you're leaving nakatomi you're going to fly this heading and that if you're leaving this building but they would probably have the city grouped at least into a couple of regions if you're you know north if you're in this north part of the city um you know when you're when you're departing Follow this this general route, or sort of feed yourself into this general route when you're, uh, you know, arriving. Come in this direction. Uh, maybe observe these altitudes for things like that. Um, it's a little bit of conjecture on my part, but that's that's what I would expect to see. It's things like uh, in my part of the world when I fly from here in Wisconsin and I go down to uh, in Indiana or someplace. When I'm flying along the uh, Chicago shoreline. It's you know very. Big complex, busy airspace. And there's a there's a corridor and there's a whole series of uh highly recommended procedures that you follow um, flying along the shoreline, even if you're outside of the actual controlled airspace. We actually fly below it there along the water. But there's, you know, we recommend that you stay at or below this altitude, and we recommend this route, and you know, if you're northbound or southbound, we we recommend these altitudes. You yeah. that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, there's I, I know in New York City, along the Hudson River, there's a, the 700 foot line. They have a thing right. called the skyline. and You can actually fly all the way from the George Washington Bridge down into Newark Airport at 700 feet. And really, once you get in there, they don't really care that much. It's like, OK, you're going to be there and keep sure. going, Stay on that side of the river and head south. Yeah, um, exactly.
1: And then you're responsible for your own. Uh, traffic separation, it's up to you to see and avoid and other pilots to see and avoid and things like that. Right. Um, at least I, I think that's the case there in the Hudson Hudson Corridor. I think yeah. you do actually get into a pocket of uncontrolled airspace. I could be mistaken, but that's, Which is that's amazing, how it works in a lot of these it's, kinds it's, of it's things. You know,
0: considering that these, like LAX and things like that, these are among the most busy airspaces in the world, and right. you still have a manager place where you can just kind of fly, fly casual.
1: Yeah, exactly, fly casual. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, and I think it's just because of the sheer number of controlled airports normally um, when we have class b airspace like that this is the this is the los angeles class b airspace and lax is the crown jewel of it sort of right in the middle and it's this big odd series of parallelograms at different blocks of airspace at different altitudes and things um usually there's one big airport inside there and then you know you'll find a few little satellite airports but in la it's just crazy when you look at it you've got you know we mentioned santa monica you've got Compton, uh, Torrance, Long Beach, Los uh, Alamitos, America, yeah. yeah, Fullerton, um, even El Monte is still. I guess El Monte, I guess, is just outside. But oh, it goes, it goes so, all the way. And then even east. like Bur-
0: Burbank and John Wayne are like, like, kind of at the edges of it, but still all that, you know.
1: Right, and then it reaches almost to uh, almost as far east as Chino, oh. going that direction um yeah john wayne is just barely outside of it then of course you've got disneyland tucked in there yeah. and uh disneyland on your online charts now has a big red circle around it because um you're not supposed to fly over disneyland anymore because disney ah. has for security reasons yeah that makes from sense. the surface to three thousand feet although it's been interesting that uh, disney has been in the news lately because they want to fly little quadcopters as part of uh is he part of their night light and fireworks show? Oh, and they can't <laughs> because of their own security purpose. So now they're having to ask the FAA to waive the uh, to let them themselves sort of waive these sort of I dare say slightly draconian security measures that they lobbied to have installed. Yeah, wow. So
0: just goofy. I like anyway. <laughs>
1: But we digress. Yes. So
0: anyway, we're back in, we're back off of Olympic Boulevard and we're watching, uh, uh poor John McClane, try to avoid all these, uh, shots and millions of these people, I, again, true to form in any movie, the, uh, uh, nobody shoots straight nobody these, these guys are right. stormtroopers on
1: the roof <laughs> just, yeah exactly and, and they're just spraying bullets and yeah. McLean pauses once and you know does a little quick three round burst and shoots behind
0: yeah and and, and, and and meanwhile they're just like emptying clip after clip of right. you know but it, and there's just just all the shots and the, the ricochets i had i had looked up about uh, ricochets i didn't realize the most the most common form of ricochet is not from walls but it's from the ground um oh interesting people, you know like people are usually shooting and the actual the most typical ricochet happens from shooting the, the bullet hits behind the target bounces off a rock and heads off you know at a 90 degree angle or whatever the the, the the angle that it hit um so
1: he has, And they almost never occasionally but almost never make that cool sound yeah too <laughs> you know yes but,
0: thank you foley artists so, yes um and everybody's everybody in this scene is practicing their best uh, gun holds with uh, with Carl winning the race with pointing straight up in the air. Right. Um, he's just
1: although you know it's interesting with Carl walking around out there on the roof. He's the only one who's who looks like he's putting. You know, he sort of got him. He's got his stuff together. He's he's. Calm. He's waiting for a clear shot. It's it's a little ridiculous to have it pointing straight up like that. But then again, if he's close to the edge, he doesn't want a barrel sticking straight out of him, give away his position yeah. too soon. But he's he's you know being and, a little bit And silly he's 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 it.
0: closing on his target, which you have to, yeah. You should always close on your target to fire because the less distance you have, the more likely you are going to shoot.
1: Right. Um, but again, and we yeah. talked about his. Uh, I think we talked about all the weapons yesterday. His he's got the Steyr, aug, yeah. Og the uh, which was just. Still looks kind of weird and futuristic uh, today. It's, but uh, boy, back in the late uh, in the late eighties, even even though it's it's quite a bit older than that, it just looks yeah. It's it it's, just looks absurd. Everything's in the wrong place, and you know <laughs> the clip goes into the butt of the gun, and yeah. But it's yeah. So.
0: It's it's very much the the bad guy's weapon, though. It's really <laughs> oh yeah
1: yeah. It just looks.
0: It's the one that you drop. You drop the knife and get the upgrade. So uh, <laughs> right.
1: Yes. Press and hold X on the controller to swap. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh so uh, john uh backs up against uh what's i think is the uh, hvac it's actually electrical system for the hvac and uh right for some reason there's an awful lot of steam coming out of that building sure. to, the evaporators are working overtime on a cold night yes and you know uh McLe- i don't understand why his breath isn't frosting because if if you look way back at the early part it, yeah it's only on like two frames but uh Uh, al's breath is kind of frosting so i'm assuming that it's about 40 50 degrees or something like it's it's, kind of and you can see the condensation from the steam which i'm assuming is movie generated but he's out there in his uh in his uh, sleeveless t-shirt or a shirt whatever you know wife beater is the improper (laughs) thing that you're not supposed to call it anymore is he manages to sit down and get his uh get his clips together and get ready to shoot back at hans right. although although he doesn't he decides i'm not going to kill hans from here so i've got to find an escape and uh he does that with the remarkable shooting talent of <laughs> blowing the uh the cylinder out of its you know, lock out of its cylinder I mean,
1: it's just... right and he's and you look at about second uh 54 or so he's got the gun held way out in front of him yeah and he's just he's leaning way back from it he's wincing He's, he's shooting that lock from a pretty good distance. Yeah. And you could not hear. And then again, at second 55, you see a, a second angle looking back at him. The gun's kind of at an angle, and his arms are fully extended, and he's holding it way up. You would be extremely lucky to hit the door. Yeah. <laughs> shooting like that, the general like.
0: direction of west. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So the idea that it would actually hit the hit the lock from that that range is just yeah. unheard of. Which is it's funny because in so many ways this movie gets this movie at least the idea of running out of ammunition and needing to change clips and things. Even though we have Hollywood Hollywood clips that seem to run on for you know yeah. forever, that at least became a becomes a plot device in this. You know you're worried about him. Having does he have enough firepower to get through this? And uh, you know, I always get so frustrated. You see a movie like this, and when you're you know you're mowing down the bad guys, why aren't you always taking their guns? Yeah, yeah. You, you should know?
0: you should be doing. You know, you, you need more ammo, and you need better we- weapons than you have.
1: Right. So at least in this case, he's liberated this. Uh, it's what we decided is an HK ninety four sort of modified to be an MP. Yeah. yeah pardon me, an MP five.
0: Yeah, and you know he he probably never played Wolfenstein. That's the that's the whole yeah. <laughs> Um, but he does he does mm-hmm. manage to get he does manage to get the door open and and this is where we're going to have to leave him for today because he he's he's a he's, he's reached that new level of a con, he's unlocked the new accomplishment so uh <laughs> we're going to have to find out where the door leads and what you know what new troubles are going to await him tomorrow so uh let's 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 hold off here um, but thanks for being with us uh, we will be back here tomorrow, Wednesday, to chat some more about uh, Die Hard Minute. And uh, if you would like to hear more of uh, Hal and me chatting about things, we have a, an already established and completed uh, podcast called The Rocketeer Minute, which uh, is 109 minutes of solid gold. I can't say it any other way, but it's just almost platinum. Uh, but we're, we're out there at rocketeerminute.com. You can also find us at iTunes and Google Play. Just look for Rocketeer Minute. And you liked it, didn't you, Hal? I think
1: <laughs> I uh, I was rather fond of the Rocketeer Minute, yes. I think that's safe to say. I would say we had plenty of platinum moments. That's true. On a uh, on a solid gold foundation.
0: That yes, so. it was uh
1: No solid gold dancers. No that unf- I recall. No. But uh we gotta work. Just about it. everybody else was a guest at one point or that, another.
0: Anyway. <laughs> That's true. Next time, if we ever do it right, we'll do it right the next time. But, <laughs> we uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get some solid gold dancers. Uh, but join us there at uh, rocketeerminute.com com to find it. And uh, like I said before, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, if you would like to hear the many other talented podcasters who do who do this show, uh, find us all at moviesbyminutes.com You can find. Gosh, there must be. I think we're up to ten thousand two hundred and eleven uh, uh, podcasts. I may, I may be a little bit. A little bit off on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are many. If you haven't found a movies by minute that you don't like, um, or that you do like, you're, that you don't, you haven't found a movie by minute that you can get behind, you will find it out there. Movies by Minute dot com. So join us out there. Uh, join us here at the big site, uh, DieHardMinute.com where you can read all uh, summaries. Uh, catch us out there at the on Facebook at the uh, um, um, what's the name of that thing again? Oh yes, it's the uh, uh, diehard minute uh, listeners limo. Uh, out on Facebook, where people get together and chat about how talky the the current uh, hosts are. But uh, join us at any of those places. But in any case, wherever you found this particular episode of Die Hard Minute, please come back there tomorrow. We're going to talk some more about uh, John McClain and his uh, travels through uh, a bunch of louvers, apparently. But uh, join us here Wednesday on the Die Hard Minute. So until next time, uh, yippee! You know the yippee Kaye party. So toodles. <laughs>
1: Tell me you got that. I got it. I got it. Hit your heart on channel 5.